I don't care what tactic you put on top of it. If you go into a negotiation from a place of fear, you're going to be in trouble. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of dealmakers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. This is a solo cast, and today I want to talk about um, another key uh, set of principles from my authentic negotiating book, uh, The Top Six Reasons Negotiations Fail. In my last solo cast, which is a few episodes ago, uh, I talked about the fundamental framework of authentic negotiating, which is my uh, um, uh, approach to negotiating and the title of my book, which is Clarity, Detachment, and Equilibrium. And if you haven't listened to that uh, episode or read the book and are familiar with that, you may want to go back and listen, listen to that solo cast before you listen to this one, because that is the fundamental framework upon which um, my book and my uh, negotiating approach on behalf of clients and my, the, the workshops uh, that I do and the speeches that I give on negotiating. Um, so you may want to check that out before you come to this one. Um, so again, we're going to talk about the top six reasons negotiations fail. And um, they, let me tell you what they are not. And this relates to something I always say, right? It's not because you didn't do some course to learn some tactic or counter tactic uh, or counter tactic to the counter tactic. Okay. Um, using the um, good, ethical, authentic tactics. Uh, are, is a good thing on top of the stuff, the more deepest stuff that I'm teaching you that makes more of a difference. It'll give you a little more of an edge. Using manipulative tactics is never a good idea. Um, but even using um, good tactics are not, uh, you know, lack of the tactics is not the reason, top reasons you fail because it's much, much deeper. So the top reasons, there are six. Uh, I'm going to run through them, then we're going to go uh, through them in more detail. Number one, lack of preparation. I'm going to talk about that in terms of external and internal preparation. Number two, ego. Number three is fear. Number four is rigidity. Number five is getting emotional, uh, losing your objectivity. And number six is lack of integrity. And there's a, a twist on the lack of integrity conversation that I'm going to bring up there because uh, there's the kind of integrity that you think of. And then there's another piece of it that I want to talk about. So let's talk about external preparation. And this ties back, if you did listen to the prior solo cast on on um, clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. This ties back heavily to how you get clarity, right? Um, which, is, which means that you prepare. So by definition, if you do not prepare in the way that I'm going to talk about, you're never going to have the clarity you need to, to have that first fundamental principle handled and be in the best position to be successful as a negotiator. So what does it take uh, to, to prepare properly? One is external preparation. And you know, so what are some of the things you want to consider there? Do you know who's on the other side of the table? Meaning the company or organization you're negotiating with? What is their history? What is their style? What have they done before? But also who is the individual negotiator that you're dealing with, right? That person's personality and personal motivations and approach make a difference. Uh, one of the things I talk about is that 
the company might want to get the deal done, but somebody else might be concerned about their particular departmental budget or other things. And you've got to take that into account because if they have authority and they're involved in negotiation, even though uh, the company as a whole or even the higher executives want to get it done, you know, if you don't satisfy their individual needs, whether that's, you know, as an executive, uh, you know, or their, or, you know, any personal concerns they have, you're going to have a problem. The other question is, you know, have you prepared and accounted for cultural differences? Now, there are books that are written, I mean, you know, uh, entire books on cultural differences in negotiation, and I'm not going to get into those in detail, but it's a factor. I mean, I've seen deals that have been, uh, you know, ru- that have run into trouble because the lack of taking into account uh, uh, cultural details. I mean, I- I'll have an example from when I was very, very early in my negotiating career. I was a young attorney. I was uh, either in law school. I might have just been in law school working, but it might, or it might have been my first year where um, uh, we had a major M&A deal, merger acquisition deal, uh, representing a U.S. company. The company on the side was a Japanese company. We actually had a cultural consultant uh, on that deal to help us make sure that there were no faux pas. And of course, I was a junior guy, so I'm just learning all this stuff at the time. And um, everything went really smoothly until the closing day. And at the closing uh, table, um, so, you know, they taught us things, for example, before we get to the closing table, they taught us things, for example, that, you know, in, in Japanese culture, that, you know, you don't just take somebody's business card, glance it and throw it in your shirt pocket. That's what we do in the U.S. a lot, right? Um, that, you know, that's a calling card and you take it with both hands and you look at it and then you put it down in front of you in the table in the place of, you know, basically where you honor it. You know, there's a very different approach, um, at least at that time. And I believe, you know, uh, from more recent stuff I've done, that, that cultural uh, approach is still in place within Japanese culture. Um, so we did all that right. And then it comes to signing the deal. And what the consultant had forgot to inform us is that there's a um, uh, a practice in Japanese culture, and not only, this is some other cultures as well, where every person who signs the deal, you don't just pick up a pen, any kind of pen, and sign the deal. In fact, even if it's a nice pen, you don't use one pen. Every signer on the deal needs to get a pen, a quality pen, and they keep that pen as a memento of the deal, and they only use it to sign that deal. Well, the, the consultant had not um, told us that at that point, and there was a big, um, you know, uh, sort of up, you know, uh, heaval going on and a lot of talking in Japanese and we're sitting this trying to figure out what's going on. And that came out. And then there were a lot of apologies that were made. We literally sent somebody out to go buy, you know, to the stationery store to go buy nice pens and, you know, and the deal got done. Um, but that's just an example of how so a little thing can really disrupt it. There are other examples much earlier in the process that can actually, you know, blow a deal. So you want to be careful about that. Okay. So now, you, you know, you've done your external research on the market and, and the other company and the, uh, and the particular negotiator and what uh, is usual for these kind of deals. And a lot of the stuff I talked about in the last um, podcast on, uh, to get clarity, and that's what you do in preparation externally. But then, like I said on the last podcast, is all that internal um, preparation. You know, what are your objectives? How do you know what your true bottom line is? I'm not going to repeat everything I did. That's why I say go back to the last uh, solo cast because I talk a lot about this in terms of how to get clarity. Um, and th- what I'm really saying here in the top six uh, reasons negotiation fail is that uh, lack of preparation is a key one, which totally ties into, um, on the flip side, preparing properly and getting the type of clarity you need as the first key uh, element. So the second one is ego. Now let's talk about ego, because ego is something that um, shows up in another, uh, uh, you know, a number of ways. For some people, it turns up in the form of pride. 
And if you come in and somebody, you know, you want to, you spent 30 years building your company and you think it's worth X and somebody makes you an offer of half of X. um, If you're prideful, you could get upset about that, right? Or if somebody makes a comment that says, hey, you know, you built a good company, but you know what? The technology is lagging. It's a little, you know, the marketing is a little stale um, and you are prideful about that. Well, you know, that could be a problem, right? First of all, those things may very well be true. And just because, you know, you you built it and you love what you do, you, you know, you may not be on the cutting edge of the market. Also, people have different opinions, uh, you know, and, and if they're going to buy your company, then they're going to be able to take it in the direction that they want to take it. So if you come from a place of pride, it's never going to help you in a negotiation. You need to step back objectively, say, hey, they may have a different opinion. Oh, by the way, they're offered for half the price of your company, which just may be a negotiating tactic. Don't get thrown off by it, right? Just, ha- you know, just stay in there and continue to negotiate a deal and then get to either terms that work to you or don't. And it's all good. No reason to be from a place of pride. Um, the other uh, big thing is about wanting to be liked. People run into trouble in negotiations because of this desire to be liked. And that causes them sometimes to concede on certain points that they really don't want to concede on. And especially if they haven't done the, the preparation, the clarity work to know exactly what's acceptable to them and not, it's easy to have this desire to be liked by somebody cause you to uh, concede on things that you shouldn't you know, really concede. Um, so you got to watch out for that. If you're somebody who desires the approval and needs the approval of others, um, uh, then you want to, that could be a pitfall in uh, negotiations. And by the way, all of these particular items, I talk about a lot more, uh, in my authentic negotiating book, uh, you know, which you can pick up on, uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or, uh, Audible, that kind of stuff. Um, Kindle version, all that. So, you know, uh, feel free to delve into any of it if you want more, but I'm giving you, um, you know, on this podcast here, just things to watch out for. Um, So another uh, big question that I ask in the whole ego thing is, are you um, looking to achieve your objective or do you just want to win? I um, make a statement often that people sometimes have trouble understanding or disagree with until at least we discuss it further. And that is um, uh, my assertion that uh, it should never be the goal in a negotiation to win. And some people say, Corey, what, what are you talking about? I want to get what I want to get. Well, I define the reason I, 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 I use the word winning particularly is that often, especially in our society, as you know, for entrepreneurs, business executives, you know, we tend to be competitive people um, often. And, you know, we have this desire to win. We like to brag about the negotiations, you know, how much we got the car dealership down on the, uh, you know, on the discount or, or, you know, how much you negotiated, you know, uh, with your web designer to get a cheaper price. Well, first of all, you know, getting somebody down to a lower price, uh, may seem like a temporary win, but it's not always the best win because you often don't get the best service. If it's an ongoing relationship and the person can't, uh, make a good living or is looking to get it back because they feel like they've been beaten up in the negotiation and often backfires on you. You see this all the time with uh, negotiating contractors and picking a contractor with the lowest bid price, and then they can't finish the job, you know, when they build your house or office out because they can't pay their subs. So that's an issue. But also for me, the concept of winning often engages the ego because of that competitive spirit and the, you know, the desire to brag and to feel like we've won. Um, and that's often problematic. What I say is we, what we should do is definitely um, make sure we achieve our objectives, right? Now, you know, 
some of you may say that's semantics. Well, if you achieve your objectives, you've won. But again, I think achieving your objectives, you have a clear list of, of objectives. It's binary when you check against them when you've done a deal or in the midst of negotiating a deal on whether you've achieved it or not. It's done or not done. You achieved it or you didn't achieve it. And you know, you can look at that much more objectively. Often people judge whether they've won based upon how they feel about the negotiation. And I've had people think they won a negotiation, but if they ever true to back up to their objectives, if they had them clearly defined, they would find that they, they don't necessarily mesh. In fact, on the other side, I've actually been uh, often able to use the other side's need to feel like they've won to get exactly what my client wants or what I want in a deal. And I don't care if they feel like they've won as long as I've achieved all my objectives. In fact, allowing them to feel like they've won, setting it up in a way where we trade off something that's uh, not that important to us, us that, you know, because they uh, need to feel like they've won and gotten a concession from you. And, you know, doing that in a way where it, 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 it you know, where it seems like they've beaten us down, but ending up in a place at or beyond where we'd like to be is often a very successful strategy to bring strategy into the conversation because we use their need to win you know, against them. So you want to be out of that ego place of winning and just being focused on the objectives. Um, one of the other things that, that comes up uh, in, in terms of ego is talking too much, right? That blow hard kind of bloviate, you know, I know everything kind of approach where they talk, 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 talk. And what, anybody who does negotiating, if you look, listen to some of the other episodes we've had some guests on, pretty much every negotiating expert, everybody, everybody who's successful negotiating is going to tell you you need to listen a lot more than you need to talk. And by listening, you really hear uh, things that you would have heard. You hear what the other side wants, doesn't want. You can read things between the line. You can um, you know, really listen closely and not always have to formulate what you have to say next. You're going to be much more successful. And if you're in a place of ego where you sort of you know, know it all or you got to show that you're smart, whatever's going on there, then you're going to talk too much and you're going to be in bad shape. The next big area that comes up, um, number three, the third uh, uh, reason negotiations fail is fear, right? I don't care what tactic you put on top of it. If you go into a negotiation from a place of fear, you're going to be in trouble. What does fear do? Well, fear can also make you talk too much, right? So you can talk too much out of ego, like I just said, but also you could just be nervous. And so one of these people who sort of blabs on because it's nervous energy. And the problem with that is you often give away too much information, number one. Number two, on it, people sense on an energetic level, they can tell you're afraid. And if you're talking out of a place of fear, it's going to give any halfway decent negotiator the signal that you're afraid. And if you're afraid, then they know, you know that they got you. They know that you're more likely to make uh, concessions on things that you are, you know, if you're afraid to lose the deal or just afraid of the negotiating process or, you know, intimidated by the other side. So you got to work on that, on that fear. And, and listen, with a lot of these kind of things, um, I talk about this all the time. I had, um, uh, uh, you know, I talk generally about the, the conversation of reading body language and, and things like that. And I had Greg Williams on as a guest uh, uh, on uh, episode 21, and he's an expert on, on body language. And, uh, and he and I agree, and, and, and frankly, he agreed with me the other side of this. I was wondering, you know, when I, when I asked him this question, but um, we, he and I, uh, you know, he teaches people how to read other people's body language. And that's a great skill to learn. It is not my expertise. I do it naturally, frankly, because uh, I'm so tuned in to people. But, I, you know, I'm not somebody who trains particularly on that. Greg Williams is, is, is somebody who does. But, and I'm all in favor of that. 
What I'm not in favor of, and I think Greg was, was aligned with me as well, is that there are courses out there that try to teach you how to um, change your body language to mask things that tells that you want, don't want to give, right? You know, so if you look up to the left with your eyes, it means this, so don't do that, right? Or, you know, make sure you, you know, you, you, you lean in when somebody says this. The problem is if you're not doing it naturally, then it, 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 it's stiff, it's artificial. You're, you're busy thinking about not making this expression or not doing this, not saying that, doing this, and you're not present. You're not listening. You're not connected. You're not tuned in to the negotiation. You know, you're going to run into trouble. So what I always say is instead of working, spending all kinds of time working on masking the, the symptoms, right? It's sort of like taking a, a medication that just handles the symptoms, but not the other like disease. Um, instead of that, work on coming into the negotiation, not being in a place of fear, as opposed to masking the fear. And that's the work that I do is, is, is talking about how you get to that place where you, where you get clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. When you use the tools that I teach, I'm going to talk about the CPR tool in a later episode. Um, and where you do certain things that have you come in from a place of, you know, so, you know, if you're clear, if you're detached to the outcome and you're maintain your equilibrium, you're not going to be in a place of fear. That's when you're going to be in a strong position to negotiate as opposed to try to masking the symptoms of the fear. So what else are people afraid of? They're afraid of losing, right? If you go into, you know, uh, being afraid of losing, then you're in trouble. Um, they're, uh, have a fear of failure or fear of success, you know, these are fundamental fears. They come up in life, right? People sabotage themselves in business because they're afraid of failure or they're afraid of success. You know, what it'll mean, you know, they've grown up thinking people who make a lot of money are bad people. And now they subconsciously, you know, uh, um, uh, throw themselves off, off track, right? You know, uh, sabotage themselves. So the same things come up in negotiation, right? If you're in a place of failure, uh, fear of failure, fear of success, you're in trouble. So you need to work on that. Fear of the unknown. This is a great example. Um, I, um, what you want to do is spend time, if you're afraid, in delving into exactly what the fear is about. Are you afraid of losing the deal? Are you afraid, you know, because uh, that deal is going to double your company and make you, you know, successful at a level that you're uncomfortable with? Or are you, you know, afraid of the unknown? Those are all different things than there are different solutions. One of the examples I give in the book, and I give this example a lot when I do uh, workshops and talks because it's really interesting is I had a client once who um, had a, a uh, opportunity for a major deal, a major contract that would more than double his business. And he was excited about it, but he was also afraid. And listen, it's natural, right? That's a big step. There's nothing wrong with having fear. The question is, before we go into negotiation, are you going to work through that fear or are you going to go in and try to layer negotiation on top of that fear? So I said to the client, you know, when I, when I spoke, I'd known him for a while, so I knew him pretty well. And I asked him some questions. And I, and I gave him an exercise, which would seem strange to a lot of people. Um, and I, the, uh, I gave him a couple of things to do because uh, he, he was worried. He said, Corey, well, it's going to double. I don't know, you know, are we going to be able to handle it? Do I have the right personnel in place? Am I going to be able to hire? Um, you know, I like, you know, he, he had some things on his mind and, uh, you know, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? And what I really realized is, is uh, what he was afraid of before he did. So what I told him to do was I said, listen, tonight, what I want you to do is go home and I want you to literally write out every single thing that can go wrong on this deal, all of the worst case scenarios, and then think about what you would do or could do about them if they came up. Now, some people say, wait, the guy's afraid and you told him to focus. I mean, I'm actually a, a guy who really believes in focusing on positive energy, not negative and affirmation. You know, you told him to focus on, on the worst, on everything that could go wrong when he's in a place of fear. 
Um, does that make sense? Well, I'll tell you, it did make sense. And he came back and he said to me, oh my God, I thought you were crazy when you gave me this exercise. He said, but it was phenomenal. He said, I looked at everything that could possibly go wrong. Uh, you know, on this one, this one, this one, this one, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this. On this one, I think we could figure it out. This one, uh, we'd probably be in trouble, but it's super unlikely it's ever going to happen. You know, so I was able to really see everything and I'm ready to go on the deal. And he was comfortable. Well, why was, why did that exercise work with him? You see, he was afraid of the unknown. Once we made it known by having him write down every possible thing that could happen that was bad, he was able to um, sort of, you know, get connected to it, see it, make it known, have a plan for it or judge the, you know, the, the, the uh, likelihood of it happening and make a business decision. Now, if he was afraid of failure, there's no way I would have given that, him that exercise to do. That would have been crazy. It just would have driven him further into his fear of failure. So, you know, you need to determine where the fear is coming from. And then there are different exercises that you can do to get out of it. So um, that's just an example. Okay, fear of looking bad or letting someone else down is another big one, right? You know, classic, you know, letting daddy down or letting your boss down or, um, and, you know, you want to let that fear go because any kind of fear is going to be a problem. And by the way, you want to recognize if that fear is on the other side, because if you, you have somebody who's afraid of letting somebody down and you haven't, you don't address that in dealing with it, you know, on the other side of the table, you're going to be in trouble. The next one is rigidity. Um, so that's the fourth uh, reason negotiations fail. Um, being rigid, having preconceived notions, um, being rigid around, you know, um, uh, pace and timing, money, you know, price, any of those things, not being open to new um, and creative ideas is a problem. Now, I mentioned this quickly in my uh, last solo cast where I talked about clarity, detachment, and equilibrium, because I often get the question about what's the difference between total clarity, not a penny less, um, knowing exactly what you want and don't want, and rigidity. And for me, it comes down to the energy. See, when you're in a place of clarity, you're calm, right? There's nothing going on. You just know. This works, this doesn't work, okay? And you may say, I can't do any better than that, but it's not coming from a place of rigidity, it's coming from a place of clarity. Rigidity usually has some emotion in it, right? It's got, you know, your fists are clenched, your stomach is clenched up, you're in a place of anger, upset ego. Um, you know, you, you can't, you know, so if it's coming from that place, it's not gonna serve you, you know, because you're not gonna listen, you're not gonna be open to alternatives. Um, that's not coming from a place that, that helps the negotiation. The fifth one is getting emotional, losing objectivity. So this is, you know, as a catch-all, we talked about, I mean, fear is an emotion, you know, being an ego triggers emotion, but, you know, things like scarcity, um, any kind of, here's the bottom line. If you are in a negotiation and you have emotions come up, one, you're human, don't beat yourself up, but two, understand they're not necessarily going to serve you, except in one key way. They serve you by being a signal, potentially, that maybe something's off. If you're not feeling right in the negotiation, you want to explore that because maybe that's a signal you're getting from the other side that, that where there's some internal wisdom that says, hmm, this doesn't feel right to me. I'm getting a little uncomfortable here. Well, you know, if, if you're using it as a signal to you about the other side, it's useful. Outside of that, if you don't con control your emotions, you are, it, it's basically a negotiating death, all right? You know, if you're frustrated, then you can, you know, you can push stuff in the wrong direction, right? You can, you can um, take that frustration out and lose the deal. 
Um, you can take that frustration out and hold to terms that you shouldn't be. Falling in love with the deal is a classic one, classic, right? You know, you get you either have invested time and money, maybe you're spending the money in your mind already, maybe you booked that trip around the world or bought that new house already based upon what you're going to get, or even, you know, you just, you just thought about it. And psychologically, you're ready to get rid of the, sell the business, you're ready to close the deal, you're ready to um, bring in that partner, whatever it is, and you fall in love with that concept before the deal's closed. The deal's not done until it's done. It's not closed until it's closed. And, you know, if you can stay objective and never fall in love with a deal, you're going to be a much stronger negotiator. Um, the final one of the six is lack of integrity. And I spoke earlier, you know, in the intro where I said that uh, I'm going to make some distinctions here. Uh, you know, one sort of piece of lack of integrity is what you think, and one is one you may not think about. So for me, lack of integrity is not necessarily about, you know, somebody's external morals. Of course, I mean, if somebody's dishonest, uh, you know, or immoral or problematic in that way, you shouldn't be doing business with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're forced to do business with them somehow, maybe you work for somebody who's doing business with them, you don't have control of that decision, then you got to watch out for that. But um, lack of integrity for me also is an alignment within a truth, right? So um, the thing with the, so this is the piece that's, that's more interesting to me. Is the other side in integrity? Can you trust them, right? Are they straight up? That's the one thing. But are you, can you be in integrity with yourself in this deal? See, if you, for some reason, are entering into a deal where you cannot maintain your integrity, you cannot be aligned with your inner truth, you cannot hold to your values, um, then there's, there's something off. There's something wrong with that. Um, and it should be a signal to you. Like, why is that happening? Why does that feel right? You know, are you are you in a scarcity place? Are you desperate for the deal? Have you been intimidated by the other side? What has come up that has thrown you off? And you should never do a deal where you feel out of integrity, whether it's from an ethical or moral point of view, or whether it's from a lack of alignment with your inner truth. Now, it doesn't mean that you actually automatically, when that comes up, don't don't do a deal. If you can't resolve it, you definitely don't do the deal. But maybe what it is, is you need to step out and take some time and think about it or ask certain questions to get you comfortable. Something triggered uh, uh, something being off. But if you ask a clarifying question, maybe you misinterpreted something or maybe, you know, they said it in a way they didn't mean to. So it's at least a signal to explore. But if you cannot get that realigned with your inner integrity, you shouldn't do the deal. And if you do it, it's definitely one of the top six reasons that negotiations fail. So with that, I'm going to conclude this episode. Uh, talking about some of the key elements of authentic negotiating, which again is set forth in my in my uh, best-selling Amazon best-selling authentic negotiating book. Uh, on future episodes, we'll talk about um, a couple of the other key elements um, from the book. Uh, but for now, I want to thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.